welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Stress less. So we started last week walking through the 23rd Psalm and went through the first three verses of Psalm 23. And it says, in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In that the Lord is my shepherd, with the Lord being my shepherd, there is nothing else that I need, right? And it's that comfort of knowing that God is our shepherd. It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. And why does he do all of this? For his name's sake. And we talked through kind of the struggle that we have in this world with, with the stress and the worry that uh, many, many times it comes back to us and we look at ourselves and, and we think, I need this, I need this from the Lord, I need this from the Lord, I need this from the Lord. And we end up with this me complex in our relationship with the Lord. And we talked about the difference between cat and dog theology, right? Cat theology says, you feed me, you, you, you clean me, you play with me, I must be God, Right? And a dog says, you feed me, you play with me, you clean me, uh, you take care of me, you must be God, right? And many of us walk around with this kind of cat theology. If you have a cat, you fully understand uh, what's going on, unless you have like that one out of 800 billion cats that is, you know, cares about its owner. Uh, not a cat person, sorry. Uh, but if you have a dog, you, we talked about this, like you walk out the door and you forgot something, you turn right back in and it's like you've been gone for a thousand years and you finally returned home from this long journey and the dog's like, oh man, right? So that's my dog. My dog can't, and he's like, oh, you're home. And it's like, I never left. I just took the trash out, right? And it's just, this, right? And so, so that's like that mindset of it's about the Lord, right? And so we are not the point that God is the point. And so we said that, that it is this idea of rest that God said, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters and he restores my soul. So we talked about the need for rest that God is. And we, we, I made this, this, this statement. I said, if I was to rob a bank, you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor any longer. Yet, if I were to break the Sabbath, it doesn't bother us. And none, they are both in the 10 commandments. They both should carry equal weight uh, in, in, in our understanding of, of, of abiding by Scripture, right? And so the need and the mandate and the, the requirement for rest, in that, in that it helps to quiet our soul, it helps to restore our souls. There's that refreshing. And so as we fight stress and worry and anxiety in the world around us, that our need for rest only helps to create health in our whole world. So today we're going to jump into... Uh, the, the, the next verse, in the next verse. Have you ever wished this? Have you ever wished that salvation meant that all of a sudden, all of your problems vanish? Oh, goodness, haven't we all? Now, let me ask you this. Did somebody tell you that was it, and that's why you gave your heart to you? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Like, you, we're not, we're not going to deal with, we'll deal with bad theology by just giving good theology, right? Wouldn't it be great, though, if you said, okay, I gave my heart to Jesus, and all my problems vanished? And I live on a bed of dethorned roses, and I float everywhere now. I don't even have to walk any longer. And everybody pays for everything for me. And there's no financial worry or stress. All my relationships are perfect, 
right? That would be a wonderful outcome. And the church would be full every single Sunday because everybody would go, I want that life as opposed to the life without, right? And so there's this, this hope and this desire that we live with and this thought of, man, if I, I wish that if I gave, when I gave my life to Jesus, everything was gonna be just perfect. Now, as far as eternity is concerned, right? There is a difference, but in the immediate and here and now, the problems don't go away. They don't just vanish and disappear as much as we could hope and wish that they would and that everything would be perfect. But the reality is we will, in fact, have stress to deal with in our lives. We will, in fact, have worries to walk through, and we will have anxiety, and there will be those moments of depression and those, those dark times in our world. It is the reality of life with or without Jesus. But we have something in Jesus that allows us to be able to manage and overcome and walk through. So this morning, as we, as we continue, I want to look at, at, at verse 4 for our text today out of Psalm 23. And it says this, it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't usually title my sermons. Usually I just go like sermon series name, week one, week two, week three. That's just usually how I organize my sermons and my thoughts. But this week, I felt the need to title my message and and it's simply this, no fear in the valley. No fear in the valley. Have you ever been in the valley? Have you ever been in the darkest valley? Perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps you're walking through a scary moment and a difficult time. Perhaps you are, are, are trying to find your way through. Perhaps it's never been darker than it is right now. Perhaps you feel the coldness of the shadows that are cast over you. Perhaps you feel distant and isolated. Perhaps you feel in this moment right now that things cannot get any worse. Can I encourage you and tell you that you're not alone? There are others that are walking through it. There are others who have been through it and are on the other side. And the most encouraging thing I could tell you is that Scripture tells us that it's going to happen again. Maybe that's not encouraging. Maybe in the end it will be. The first thing we want to talk about today as we look in this text, it says this. It says, the valley will come. The valley is going to come. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says, even though I'm walking through it, I'm, I'm there, I'm in it, even though I, I, I start this journey and I'm pressing in, he says, even then, he says, we know and we can take heart and, and be encouraged by the fact that we will all face the darkest valleys of our lives more than once. We're going to go through these times. It is a part of life. It is a part of everything we go through. Kind of the imagery I get from David in these, in these words is, is just simply this, is that think of a, a valley, obviously, where two mountains are coming together, but not just any 
valley where maybe you could think, well, there'd be some grass and it's in like a nice meadow between them. No, 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 this isn't what this is. This is, this is jagged rocks in, in, in cold shadows and this is, this is hard terrain. This is not an easy maneuvering valley to get through. This isn't, a moment, this isn't something where you go, well, I'm just gonna kind of enjoy my journey through this moment. No, 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 no. He says this is the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley where when you enter into this valley, it is not... Something, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a field of dandelions and daisies. This is, this is a difficult, difficult path that even walking through it feels close to death. I think about the guy that just set the record for the fastest time to, to hit, hit the summit of the 14 highest peaks in the world. Did y'all hear about this guy? This guy knocked it out in six months. He was a, a British special ops guy. The previous record had been like, 18 years or something like that. And this guy trained and decided he was going to reach the summit of the 14 highest peaks at record pace. And he did it in six months. And and, I mean, really, it's one of those things where you you see the mountains and the things that he climbs, the valleys that he went through, even to get to some of the mountains would be the valley of the shadow of death. The fact that he's saying, I'm going to go through these valleys and then up these mountains. It is that kind of place, right? Where it is dark it is cold, it is jagged, and terraining through them is inviting death itself. This is where David finds himself in this moment. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as if to say, it is creeping upon me. Have you been in that dark of a place? Have you been in the depths like that? The word darkest in in the Hebrew is the word that, if you speak Hebrew, I apologize because I'm going to butcher it, but it's salmawet, salmawet, which is, means dark, to turn back, to turn back. So this is no ordinary bump in the road. This isn't just a, a little blip on the radar of life. This isn't just a little thing. This is a, such a dark moment, such a difficult place to be in, such a hard thing to go through that you feel the need to turn back as if you could rewind the clock a little bit and, and go back to a new place in life and say, I, I don't want to walk through this. I don't want to do this. It's just that idea of saying, okay, it is so dark. It is so bad. I don't want to go near it. This is the word darkest. Have you had those moments where you go, you know what? I made it out, but I really wish I didn't have to go through that. I really wish I wasn't in this moment right now. Have you had the moment when you said, man, I really wish I could hear the doctor say something else. Man, I really wish my my, my boss would give me a a, a better, you know, a better report. I wish that I could go back and, and recoup the hours that he took from me. Have you had those moments where you go, I wish I could rewind the clock a little bit and find a better outcome. I wish I could go a different direction and do something. I wish I could backtrack and redo This is the moment that we find David. He's saying, I'm walking through the darkest valley and I wish I didn't have to. I wish I didn't have to. Those moments when you're ready to quit and you're ready to give up and you're ready to to go around. And maybe you're young and life hasn't thrown the hardest things at you just yet. Hear me, be ready because it's coming. Life isn't fair. Life is difficult. Hard times come. So be prepared in your heart to walk through it.
Because here's what, here's what we find from David is that he doesn't say, even though I sit and I wait in this dark valley and hope for a better outcome, even though I lie here and death cringes upon me. No, no, no. He says, even though I walk through. What does that tell us? He's not sitting still in it. He's not just going, oh, well, this is the end. It's over. Why, why even try anymore? Just got the worst news possible. Life is over. I have no hope. I'm not moving forward. No, no, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, meaning I'm not staying here, I'm pressing on to the other side. Have you ever been in a place that was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of you? Have you ever done this? So a few years ago, um, I had the opportunity to go into a cave when we were in Mexico, which was a really cool experience, a lot of fun. But you, you put on like this helmet and, and stuff and you go down in this, this, this like ladder with this hole in the ground, right? So you just, all of a sudden they go, well, the cave's down there. And I go, that's okay. So I was expecting like a kid, like you walk in, but no, you just, you go down and the cave was under you. And I was like, oh, we drove over the cave to get here. Yeah, that's scary. All right. And so, you know, you just think at any point, is this just going to go Poof, and we all die, right? Anyways, don't have those thoughts when you go into a cave. It'll mess you up. So, so we go down the ladder and we go in there and then we go over to this other spot and there's no light at all. And the guide is intentionally waiting to turn on the light because he wants us to feel the darkness. So we get down in there and it's literally, you're going, do I have hands? Like, did they fall off in the moment coming down? And I just don't even, right? Because you can't see them. And so you're going, oh my word, it's here. And the darkness in that moment was as real as the cave walls around us. And it is cold down there, which was in the, well received in the moment because it was hot above, right? So we got down in there and it's like, oh man, this is amazing. But it was so dark that we couldn't see anything. But yet I get down there and, I, and I, you almost start to adjust to the darkness, not being able to see, but you're almost okay with the darkness around you. And then you start having the thought of, wait a minute, I wanna see all the things that were on the brochure. I wanna keep moving forward because I know what is on the other side. I know what is around. I know that if we just follow the guide that in the end, we're gonna see incredible things and that we're gonna come out of this darkness into this room where they've rigged up electricity and they've got lights shining and you can see all the stalactites and stalagmites and everything going on and it's just awe-inspiring, right? It's like, I don't want to stay in the darkness anymore. I want to move into what is next. And so what happens in our life is that we begin to adjust to the darkness and begin to become okay with it and don't even realize the worry and the anxiety and the depression that is weighing us down because we have set up camp in the darkest valley. And David says, no, you don't sit here and wait. You walk through it. You press on. You move forward because unless you do that, you don't make it to the promises on the other side that God has said, if you read the brochure before you go through the cave, you know what's on the other side. And he says, if you want the promises found in the word, if you want the promises. See, David is sitting here in the valley. He's walking through it. And what is he thinking about? Green pastures. He's singing about the quiet waters. He's singing about my soul is going to be restored and the refreshing that will come. He says, that's why I walk through. Even though I'm walking through this, oh man, all of this, if I keep moving on and don't just sit in the valley, I can get to the promises on the other side. I can get to the promises on the other side. The valley will come. The valley will come. 
but we don't sit in the valley. We press on to greater things. David keeps moving because of his faith in, is in the Lord. The second thing is this, the evil will go. The evil will go. He says, I will fear no evil. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? He says, for you are with me. Let's start by defining evil. And, and so let's look at the, the Hebrew word again for evil that we find here. Now, in, in the Hebrew language, there are several uses for the word evil. And again, we've talked about this before, that the Hebrew language is a contextual language. So you really have to pay close attention to the context of the use of the word to understand its meaning and, and, and what it's mean. I can say means if I can stop for a moment, and what it means to us today and how we define that word. So, so we're going to look at the word. The word is this. It's a really simple word. It's the two letters, R-A. It's the word ra. And in, in this text, it means fierce, wild, harmful. So he says, I'm not going to fear the fierce, wild, and harmful things in this world. So he says, those are evil things. I don't want any, I'm not worried about those things because the Lord is with me. So, so when we understand and we define ra and what it means as far as the evil, it is fierce, wild, and harmful. Here's what I've learned in this world, in, in this day and age. Every day, it seems like, there is something new that is unveiled to us that is harmful to us. Every day. We go, oh, well, I better not do that now because it'll, it'll kill me, right? And you find this all the time. So I looked up a list to find out what are the, the like, common things that we do that they have said it, in certain increments or amounts can kill us, right? So this is just to be an encouragement to you um, and to build you up and remind you that uh, even the simple everyday things can lead to your death. So um, water. Obviously, drowning would be one thing, but this is different. If you drink six liters of water at one time, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, it can kill you. So your cells in your body, are, 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 they're regulated in size by water, right? By the consumption of water. Too little, and they get smaller, and we call that dehydration, right? Too much, and they can swell and burst. So don't drink six liters of water at one time. It can lead to your death. Okay. The second thing is this, chocolate. How many of you love chocolate? Mm, come on, we love chocolate. Here's the other, here's, this is where it's, it's scary. If you eat 85, this is difficult. If you eat 85 chocolate bars at one time, it can kill you. But death by chocolate doesn't sound like the worst option. So um, do not try it. There's no sense in it. Hopefully you don't have the ability and like, just like, forget how bad I feel. Just keep doing it. Like, I couldn't consume 85 chocolate bars. I would be throwing up at some point, right? So 85 chocolate bars at one time could kill you. How many of you love coffee? Coffee can't kill you. I'm just kidding. Yes, it can. Um, I love coffee. If you drink 120 cups of coffee at one time, it can kill you because of the caffeine. Also, I did the math on that. Averaging them out at eight ounces, you are over six liters of water used, so you die twice. Um, so at this point, you have officially died two times because of the water consumption and the caffeine. So um, when I read that one, I was like, oh, I'm going to do the math on this one because you're hitting about 28 liters of coffee at this point. Salt. Who's a big fan of salt? Like if I do too much salt, like I want to throw up legitimately. Like it burns down the back of my throat and I'm like, Bleh. like with my kids, like we go to a restaurant and they're like, just put salt on it. And they're like, 
you could stop. You could, they're yours. You can have. Like, that's how I feel about it, right? It's too much. I, I like salt, right? Here's, here you go. 48 teaspoons of salt will kill you. If you can muscle down 48 te- teaspoons of salt, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking because it wouldn't be nice. And so it, we'll just keep moving. It can kill you. 48 teaspoons of salt? Holy cow. Like, I just, uh, if you're Hindu, I apologize for the use of holy cow. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep moving. Uh, this one was a shocker to me. This one was a complete shocker. If you consume 22 apples at one time, it can kill you. 22 apples. So an apple a day keeps the doctor away. 22 apples a day in the corner gets paid, right? So that's how that works. I wrote that this morning. I was pretty proud of that. I'm not going to lie, right? So you just keep moving. So, uh, and then here's one that shouldn't, shouldn't shock you. If you consume 13 shots of alcohol in rapid succession, it can kill you. If it doesn't, when you stumble into traffic later, the car that hits you might. And if that doesn't, the cirrhosis of your liver may get you later. So um, it's common everyday things that can kill us, right? So we hear these things and there's all these like harmful things out there. And so it is easy for us to find the evil things in this world, right? And David says, even though I walk, all that to get to this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. There's nothing harmful that I'm going to be fearful of. No matter how bad it is, no matter how bad the, the, the report is or what we hear from the doctor, no matter what we, what we walk through or what we see, I have the Lord with me. Therefore, there is nothing that I have to fear, not even drinking too much water or eating too many apples. Darkness can come and fear and worry, anxiety, and stress at the highest level. All these harmful things, the stuff that we walk through, the stuff that we feel, the stuff that we endure, which is very real, right? I don't want to diminish the real things. I mean, we can, make, we can, have, we can play with the other jokes and whatnot, but, but the reality is there are real stress and real pain and real darkness that we feel in this life. But if we reframe our mindset and, and shift our focus to remember that God is with us, we have nothing to fear. Paul writes in Romans 831, and just give a side note and plug our series that we're starting in January. In January, we are starting a crazy, in-depth, 12-week series through the book of Romans. So if you love the book of Romans as much as I do, um, you should love it. It's in the Bible. Um, Starting in January, we are doing a 12-week series on the book of Romans. It's going to be incredible. We've got a lot of materials and resources we're placing in your hands during that as well to help you study deeper through the word throughout the week um, as well, because we believe in discipleship and helping you grow. So that's my side note, my little plug for our series coming in January, February, and March. And so it says this though in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no fear, nothing to fear. There's no evil in this world that can overcome us that God is not greater than. God is for you. All the things in the world that are harmful to our hearts, our minds, our souls, our physical bodies, while they can send us into a dark place that, that, that makes death feel close as, if, as David is expressing as he walks through this valley, he, we have nothing to fear. 
I think the greatest remedy to the stress in our lives is, is remembering and being reminded that God is for you. God is for you. When fear begins to creep in, we can trust in the Lord and know that in all things he is for us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I love how personal Peter makes that statement. He cares for you. This isn't just a, a, a broad stroke of a statement that he cares for. No, 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 no. He cares for the individual. He cares for us one-on-one. He cares for us at a deep, intimate level. So he sees your hurt and your pain. He says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Let me carry that. That's why David says, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I fear no evil. In fact, my mind is on rest, and my mind is on the green pastures, and my mind is on the quiet waters and being restored while everything else around me rages on. What a cool place to be, to say, it's okay. God is for me, and the evil must go. One of the ways Lauren and I are, are working to grow spiritually is in this, right? In, in finding peace in the middle of the, the struggle and finding peace in the middle of the unexpected. How many of you know that sometimes that's what sends your stress through the roof faster than anything is the unexpected. Things are going along great, going along great, and all of a sudden just hits you right between, you know, right in the chest, and you go, oh, what are we gonna do? And that reminding, being reminded in those moments that, hey, guess who wasn't caught off guard? the God who is for you. Guess who wasn't shocked by this? The God who cares for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? He wants to see you through. So David knew as he continued to walk through, there was no reason to fear. God is with him. Here's what I've learned is this. And this is one of the reasons why we keep working on this in our home is that Our level of fear in the moment is the greatest indicator of our level of trust in the Lord. And now that may seem like a heavy statement, like, well, you don't know my heart, you don't know what, hear hear me, understand this, because I've seen it played out both ways, and I've seen seen the worst diagnosis cause the greatest fear, and I've seen the worst diagnosis turn into the greatest moment of praise and worship, okay? So I've seen it both ways where I go, so no, no matter how bad the situation is, if your trust in the Lord is great enough, the stress and the worry and the fear don't come because you say, you know what? God is in control. And my trust lies fully in who God is and not who I am, not who a doctor is, not in who my boss is, not in a paycheck, not in, not in my home, not in security. Not, none of those things amount to or equal to the greatness of the God that I serve. Therefore, my trust is fully in him and not in everything else that I could try to build around me as my security and as my safekeeping and my safeguard. But God alone is where my trust lies. So you go, man, that's a strong statement to say that, that my, 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 my level of stress is the indicator of my level of trust. And in, in a lot of ways it is, because if you trust the Lord, you go, you know what, I'm okay. Do I struggle with that? Oh, goodness, people. To tell you that I didn't, I'd be lying to you just bold-faced right now from this stage, right? You're just going, I never worry about anything. 
Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Right? No, no, the, the reality is we all walk through this. We all fight this in that reminding, being reminded continually, having to be reminded that God is our shepherd in that we lack nothing in placing our trust fully in him. That's what we strive for, right? That's what we're working towards. And, and as we begin to press in more and more and more into who the Lord is and trusting who God is, our stress begins to decrease and decrease and decrease. The worry begins to decrease and decrease and decrease. Because what happens is we pursue the Lord. Joy begins to increase. And when joy begins to increase, then stress and worry, anxiety, depression have to decrease. Because our pursuit is in the Lord and the things of the Lord and who God is. The third thing is this, the rod brings comfort. I am not a shepherd. I have never worked with sheep. Um, I've worn a wool sweater. That's about as close as I've gotten to, to working with sheep. So I'm like 14 middlemen away from the process, right? So, but I, I, I've studied and I've read. And so... So all of what I'm about to tell you is completely secondhand knowledge and not my own. But I will tell you, it comes from a really good source. So. But it says this, it says, sheep lack good vision and are easily frightened in new circumstances, especially where it's dark. And the presence of the shepherd calms them. The rod was a heavy, uh, like a heavy stick that they had with the hook on the end, right? And so it was this, this, this very strong thing. And now, uh, the rod um, could stun or kill an attacking animal. So if, if, if the beast is coming to attack or to kill a sheep, the shepherd could then go and use it to hit the animal, to stun them, to scare them to back off. Or even if he hit them hard enough, it could kill that thing, and then the shepherd ate well, I guess, that night. So here's what happens. At the, at the end of the night, um, when the shepherds were trying to bring them all in and count them, what they would do is he would have the sheep pass under the crook of the, of, of his, of the, of the rod, and he would tap each one of them on the head as they would come through. And, and what would happen in that for the sheep is that it would calm them because they knew the presence of the shepherd was there. So in the darkness, in the veil of darkness, when they would be most vulnerable, they had the most peace as a flock. Pretty remarkable. It was this sense of security knowing that their shepherd was equipped for any emergency. At any moment, they could rest easy because the shepherd was there. So when he says, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. As, as, as a part of his flock under the good shepherd, under him knowing that, that, that we pass under the rod and in the, in the staff, that we can find peace and comfort knowing that our shepherd is equipped for any emergency. And when we begin to take on that understanding and we get it from here to here, right, that the head to heart knowledge, and we go, I can trust fully in the Lord and who he is, I can find peace in him. I can find rest in him because I know that he is equipped for any emergency. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse seven, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I wish I had time to go through every bit of this passage because there is just so much meat in what is being stated here by, by Paul. A few things I want to pull out, though. First, in verse 5, it says, The Lord is near. And let that be that reminder again, just like the good shepherd as the sheep pass under. God is near. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. So in the moments when you feel it is dark and it is cold and you think, God, where are you? And he's re-reminded, he's right there. The Lord is near. He hasn't walked away. He hasn't turned his back. He hasn't begun to to, to slip away and go, I'm sorry, I'm coming, I'm moving. No, 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 that's not how he works. That's how he operates. God is near. The Lord stays near. It is our recognition and understanding that God is there to turn and say, oh, Lord, I need you in this moment and placing our trust there. The Lord is near. And he says, by prayer and by thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he says in verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. I heard a pastor say it this way. To walk in the peace of God is to forego your right to understand. And I thought, man, that's really well said. Because the peace of God goes beyond our level of thinking and reasoning because we shouldn't feel peace when all of a sudden everything in the world around us is collapsing. We shouldn't feel peace in that moment. We shouldn't feel peace when when nothing is going right. We shouldn't feel peace when there's a layoff. We shouldn't feel peace when the doctor's diagnosis is worse than we could have ever imagined. We shouldn't feel peace when when, when we're being foreclosed on. We shouldn't feel peace when the list goes on and on. Yet, through God, we can find peace that goes well beyond our understanding. And so to enjoy the peace of God is to resign our right to understand. And why is all of this done? Why can we walk through the darkest moments? And why is the Lord near? And remember, it all goes back to verse three last week, for his name's sake. In all of this, the the remedy through all storms and all struggles in life, the, the greatest thing that we can do is to return our praise back to the Father and glorify his name in all things because at the end of it all, it is about God the Father. At the end of it all, he cares about us, yes. He wants to pull us through, yes. We have our, he gives peace. He gives, he gives hope. He gives joy, all so that it can stir the affections of our heart towards the Father to praise the name of the Lord. I'll invite the worship team. All to praise the name of the Lord. So even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I can find peace in the storm. I can find peace in the darkest moments. I can find peace when it feels as if death is encroaching upon me. 
when it feels as if death's shadow is falling on me. And that may not even be a physical death. That may be what feels like relational death or financial death. It may, be, it may feel like the worst of the worst. And you think, how am I going to move forward in this? It may be so bad where you go, I wish I was dying, just like Elijah, just like Moses. You say, I, I can't endure anymore. I can't make it through there's, there's, there's too much around me. The world has been so hard. It has hit me so heavy. And it may not be a continual, ongoing thing. You may not go, man, but as a whole, I've got a, life has been really good. As a whole, I haven't had the worst of the worst. But I have those moments and those, those times where it is real to me. The pain that I feel is difficult. The pain that I feel is real. And, and, and maybe that's where you are. You go, you know what? 90% of the time, things are really good in my world but it's that 10%. And you may go, man, I wish I had 90-10. I'd be doing great. But for me, it's 10-90, where 10% of the time I go, man, this is a good day. But the rest of the time, it is just a struggle to get through from one day to the next to the next to the next. And in both situations, be reminded that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. God of peace, peace that passes all understanding, will come and give peace through Christ Jesus. I love in, in Romans uh, 16, and it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I mean, that's a powerful statement, right? And you go, okay, I'll fear no evil, right? And some evil comes in many forms. And now I'm like backtracking and going through things that weren't in my notes and just, just roll with me. Evil comes in many forms, right? Sometimes it's evil that's brought on by our own doing. Sometimes it's our own decision-making what gets us in difficult spots and places, right? We, we can own up and, and, and take ownership of our own failures and mistakes and things that we did on our own. Other times, it is a legitimate spiritual attack, right? And the, the enemy wants to attack and to bring down. And that's when we step up and we say, no, 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 no. The God of peace, right? Because that evil evil attack wants to cause that harmful, right? It's the same thing that we find in, uh, in, in, in Psalm 23, that I will fear no evil, right? We can have that same boldness because we know that the God of peace who comes will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Our feet. He says, I'm going to embolden, I'm going to empower you. And you're going to step up and go, it's over. It's done. And you just crush him. I really wish there was more oomph under that stomp just then. Not going to lie. Um, we'll figure that out for another time. We'll get some mics under here. We'll make that happen. But it's that understanding that, that God will use you to overcome. He says, no, 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 walk in the peace, walk in the boldness that I've given you and, and be able to overcome. Because remember, the Lord is near. I will fear no evil because God is with me. God is with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, you're so good. God, in the middle of our storms, in the middle of the trials and the battles, in the darkest valleys, you are there with us. You are there with us. Lord, when we feel that, that death is encroaching, when we feel that, that, that death is soon, and it's that, Lord, and we're just in the worst moments. God, you did not walk away from us. You didn't leave us. You didn't leave us. You're there. So God, I pray this morning, in this, in this time, in this moment, that as, as we stop for just a moment and we say, Lord, 
you see the battles I'm facing. Lord, you see the struggles I'm walking through. God, you know every single angle. You know every possible outcome. You know all of the things that led to this moment. God, you, you know it better than we do. And in this moment now, God, we stop and we say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And we said this last week because we were pointing out that scripture is full of, of, of men and women that, that, that felt so low. And some of the greatest men in the Bible wanted the Lord to kill them. He said, just, just let me be done. So hear me again as I say this. If you are walking through a storm or a struggle, if you're in the valley of the shadow, where you go, man, this is just the worst I've ever felt or dealt with. Hear me when I say this. That does not make you less than. That does not make you a, a weak Christian. That doesn't make you barely saved. That's not, that's not what this is. No, none of, we all walk through these moments, okay? Understand that. We all walk through these moments where we say, okay, Lord, I need you more now than I did before. And that simple recognition and that humility of saying, oh, God, I can't do it on my own. And God says, I want to lift you up. I want to bring joy. Just like David wrote later in, in Psalm 51, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That in, in salvation, we should have the joy of the Lord. We say, sometimes life hits hard. Life hits hard. We say, God, I, let me be restored in the joy of your salvation. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.